You are listening to Humanities Engaged, where we take a closer look at the value of a liberal arts education. I'm Steve McFarlane, and I teach philosophy in the Division of Humanities at the University of Minnesota Morris. I'm joined by UMM student and brains of the operation, Adam Kretz. Say hi, Adam. Hey there, everybody. Thank you for listening. You'll hear me chime in occasionally during the interview with a couple questions, and I'll join Steve afterwards to discuss what we learned. We are coming to you from the University of Minnesota Morris, made possible with funding from the Mellon Foundation. Please join us as we interview UMM faculty to learn how they teach and why they teach. Today's guest is Charles Hassinger. Charles is a friend and a student here at the University of Minnesota Morris. And now, the interview. I guess first thing to know is that I'm a, I'm a non-traditional student and uh, I am a transfer student. So I went to Ridgewater College first and I you know, got my associates out the way. And then I transferred here and this is my second year here. Um, I study sociology with an emphasis in criminology and deviance. And in terms of uh, extracurriculars, you know, I'm involved with CNIA, uh, McNair Scholar. Um, I'm part of the NAS program. So uh, NAS is uh, a Native American uh, student success program. And I mentor um, freshman students from indigenous backgrounds, you know, because like the first year experience is uh, it's a challenge, you know, to nav to to be able to figure out how to navigate academia, you know, um, so and uh, especially, you know, with regards to, you know, Native students, you know, a lot of them come here from, you know, uh, small communities where it's real tight-knit and, you know, everybody knows everybody and you have a large support system and you come to this space and you really don't have that. So it can be a big culture shock, but, you know, not only for Native students, just for a student in general, you know, so uh, I really enjoy that work. Yeah, were you helped out when uh, you first got started here? Or did you kind of figure it out on your own? No, uh, um, I just figured it out on my own. You know, like, I mean, I was invited to NAS events, um, although, like, I really didn't understand the scope of what they did and, like, the resources that they have and how they really help students. Um, I did start getting involved with it, though, um, last year like in spring semester towards the end you know so um that's when i started really learning about nas and like what an asset it is to this campus awesome yeah well i want to get into some of those uh extracurriculars and you know like you mentioned the mcnair scholarship a little bit later but for yeah first you know we start off there with um kind of like what you're studying and so did you decide to do you know sociology with this in this criminal you know deviance part did you do that starting here or were you interested in that before uh well I always knew that I wanted to study criminology even like before I started my academic career um but I really didn't know what like that entailed like I didn't know that like how you could go about it like discipline wise um and then I met a sociology professor for the first time and like he like broke it down to me like how you know um you know to you know study sociology but within criminology you know so like applying you know theoretical aspects of sociology within like studying crime so 
Yeah, that's how that came about. And like after I started taking sociology classes, like I just loved it, you know, um, the theory. I really love the theory. Like this coming uh, academic year in the fall, like I'm taking theory just to audit it, you know, um, like I've already taken that course, you mm. know, but like I want to audit it again just so I can have a refresher, you know, before I go to grad school because I just, I mean, I love social theory, so. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. Do you want to speak to you know what got why you knew you're interested in studying crime or? I always uh, was fascinated by you know crime even when I was younger, but then you know like as I grew up you know and like I saw a lot of like injustices in my own community, you know um, how poverty affects people and like how um, in some cases you know it pushes people to you know do criminal acts, you know, out of the need to survive. Um, I, you know, I, I wanted to understand that better. So my second year of school, uh, my cousin was murdered and he was a gang member. So, um, you know, that further developed my passion for to understand, you know, certain aspects of criminality you know, to better help, you know, society. So when I'm feeling unmotivated for my studies, you know, I think about my cousin Forrest and, you know, how he just had his life taken away at such a young age, all because he was a part of a gang. And, you know, that, you know, helps me a lot. Mm. Yeah, well, appreciate you sharing about that that that's some strong motivation to yeah, have yeah. right there is kind of as you're studying is it to understand it better is it to ultimately be able to do something about it is it both do you want to speak um, to that yeah it's both you know better understanding you know for me but then with with better understanding um i can you know uh be able to help you know um younger people that are like caught in adverse situations you know so they don't you know um maybe go down that path into crime you know that's that's where I want to go with it so basically most of my criminology research revolves around young people so like adolescents and my goal is always to try to um you know further the knowledge um within criminology but then be able to help like um outreach programs for young people to deter them from engaging in like say criminal or deviant behaviors yeah i was i was uh, working as a volunteer in the southwest side of chicago for a year and it was an after school program for junior high and high school kids mm -hmm. it, it used to be this pretty you know kind of solid community organization it was on the top of a church building and they used to get a lot of like funding from the government and this kind of thing and so it was it kind of had a lot of resources and had a lot of employees. By the time I got there, it was just me and, you know, basically the one other guy who had been running it the whole time. And in the area they were, gang activity was, was something that was, um, you know, part of their life. Mm -hmm. And it was just a real eye-opener for me because I could kind of see how having a community, you know, after-school program like this was super helpful where... So with some of the kids, especially the junior high kids who had actually 
we would have most of them who would show up and want to hang out and we'd play games and we'd do lots of other stuff and they'd hang out for hours right mm-hmm. and if we have a good you know basketball yeah. game going we'd play for hours and so I just wonder, in, in any of your sociological research, is there anything that's come yeah. up about that kind of thing? I mean, that is repeated over and over in, in you know, um, research that I've done, you know, um, getting young people to engage in extracurriculars, you know, um, especially when there's, you know, a little bit of older person to be involved, um, you know, they, you know, take that as mentorship, you know, like, you know, young people, they're very aware of what's going on, you know, and if they see somebody that, you know, is a, a positive role model to them, it doesn't even have to be a formal mentorship, but, you know, they just see somebody that's doing positive things with them, you know, or spending time with them in positive ways, that is a big deterrent for them not to join a gang, you know, especially like the extracurriculars. I mean, and it could be anything. It could be small, you know, just like, you know, doing playing games, like you said, with them or like, you know, um, sports. Those are those are really those are really big, you know, for people who are like caught in bad situations, because a lot of it with um, young gang members, um, you know, I don't want to generalize because it's not synonymous synonymous to everybody's situation. But a lot of people that join gangs, um, you know, they come from single-parent homes, you know, and then so you only have one person in the home, and this person is probably working, you know, maybe two jobs, and, you know, so they don't have somebody to watch over them, you know. So, you know, after school, they're on their own. So what are they going to do if they don't have nobody telling them, you need to do this. You need to do that. Don't be playing in the street. Stay away from this person. You know, they, they're just going to run around and do whatever, you know, and maybe they established the wrong type of relationships. So those extracurriculars, you know, they really guide them and they, they, they give them structure and positive activities to do along with, you know, maybe mentorship. And so yeah, you're kind of saying like this is this is something that is like a solid finding within sociology is that these factors are mm-hmm. pretty big, um, yeah, like strongly correlated or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, man, that's interesting. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wondering with the uh, with these classes that you've been taking, is there one in particular that's had you know. Uh, an especially big impact on you. you know, you've probably taken a lot of classes. It doesn't necessarily have to be one of these sociology classes, but you know, you've been here for the past two years and you know, various professors. Is there, is there one class where maybe the, the kind of stuff you were learning there or the kind of methodology or ways of thinking that you were learning there was just you know, maybe really affected you? I mean, all my classes you know, really affect me, but mm-hmm. you know, I take my academics you know, highly seriously. You know, I'm, I'm not here to play and, you know, play games and, you know, whatnot. Like, I'm here to be a student. I'm here to learn and to grow and try to, you know, um, hopefully one day give back in meaningful ways. So, you know, all my classes have a meaningful impact. If I could narrow it down to one class, um, you know, it would have to be like, you know, my juvenile delinquency class and you know criminology class you know those really especially the juvenile delinquency class that uh, just really was a eye-opening experience in general yeah yeah so 
Yeah. Is, is there anything about that class you could just touch on? Just a lot of like the theoretical framework, you know, that goes to explain like why some why a young person would engage in crime. Um, one thing that always sticks out in my mind is, um, and I bring this up in a lot of my my writings, or you know, if I see an opportunity for correlation in other classes, is a uh, what's called labeling theory. Um, so labeling theory is when a young person maybe gets in trouble with the juvenile justice system and then they go through that process and let's say um, a police officer or um, somebody that works in the judicial system labels that young person a criminal, right? And maybe they're just in there because they skipped school or, you know, uh, maybe they did a small theft at, you know, a grocery store or whatnot, you know, and don't get me wrong, you know, stealing is wrong and it's bad, you know, but to label a young person a criminal because they stole something, I don't feel that that's, that's right. But so labeling theory says, though, once an authority figure labels a young person with that, with criminality, then they take that to heart, right? And then they own that label. So in a sense, that helps them develop their criminality. They say, oh, this person says I'm a criminal. Well, then I must just be a criminal and let me go out doing criminal things, you know? So the label then pushes them to fulfill what they believe a criminal is. Mm. Wow, yeah, that's a super compelling insight. We've been talking about something similar in my psychology classes about how mental, you know, mental disorder labels can be similar in being like a self-fulfilling prophecy of sorts. But yeah, essentially self-fulfilling prophecy works hand in hand with the labeling theory within, you know, criminology. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, and because I'm, basically, you know, that's what it is. You know, they're labeled and then they fulfill that prophecy. Yeah. yeah so you, you talked about being a, uh, uh, like, very serious-minded student. And um, is, is, there, yeah, is there any way, like, you would, what, is, what does that mean to you, I guess? Or, like, what is a serious student, like, characterized by? I mean, I just, you know, um, I'm here to learn. And I look at my academics as a job, you know. But granted, you know, I love my job. I love this place, you know. I love the learning. But also, for me, personally, this place has given me so much, has enabled me to grow so much and learn so much and develop as a person. I, For me personally, because of everything that this place has given me, I have to give back, you know. Mm. So that's why I engage in, like, the extracurriculars or like campus politics, you know, um, like, you know, for me, like I can't just have it one-sided, you know. I can't be getting all this, you know, knowledge and growth from this place and not give back. I, I'm not made like that. I have to be able to give back, you know. Mm. Um, so, but, and at the end of the day, so with that, like I just look at my academics as a job and I try to be professional 
I mean, I'm only human, you know, I have my downfalls, but at the end of the day, like, I try to be as professional as I can, you know? Um, yeah, so. Yeah, kind of kind of echo something that uh, Professor Leslie Meek was talking about in one of our if our, our interviews where she was like, if, if you don't have, you know, the, the time to take it, super seriously she's like why are you here yeah exactly you know like uh, i have that same mentality and i ask you know i mean i wouldn't ask somebody that but i often think that to myself you know um because i mean like you know let's be real like you paying for this education and education is not cheap so why are you gonna be paying so you can just like you know not take it seriously like you're over here just you know you know half you know putting in half the effort you know I, I can't do that you know with me it's either all or nothing you know so I'm gonna give it my all yeah and it's, it's, it's interesting that kind of like your your serious mindedness also translates into this desire to be active and and, and help out a lot because so it kind of seems like those things go hand in hand for you is that right yeah yeah for sure um you know to to but to give my all, like, I have to give back, you know, but at the same time, I want to give back, you know, like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to, you know, do what I do without giving back, you know, it just, and at the same time, when I get back, you know, I get to advocate for, you know, for what I feel is important and what I'm passionate about, you know, so there's also that, you know. Okay, so kind of, it's kind of like fuel for you because you you find it uh, maybe gratifying or fulfilling, yeah. but then it's also like these are issues that are important to yeah, you. Yeah, and then it also makes me feel like I have a voice, you know, and that I'm, I'm maybe maybe I am making a difference, you know, because not everybody can stand up for themselves, you know, like not everybody has that ability, you know, um, not everybody has the ability to say um, to take a stance and say, hey, I'm going to take this stance and I'm going to defend it, you know? Not everybody does that or even wants to do that. But me, I will do that, you know? I just, I'm, I cannot not do that, right. you know? If I find something that I feel is not right or okay, then I cannot not just turn a blind eye you know yeah because well, one of the things that um you know is interesting about morris in particular in terms of colleges is it's it's a widely known fact that more students are very active mm -hmm. on campus that mm -hmm. you know most people have more than one major yeah. and people are involved in multiple clubs and and for me personally just in terms of my own experience and from the outside looking in i kind of think to myself and have this experience isn't that getting in the way? You know, isn't that being like an impediment to... I mean, there's a lot of logic to that, you know? I mean, you know, there's there was one point where, you know, like I did CNIA, you know, I did, I did um, the Sociology and Anthropology Society and I came to Philosophy Club, you know? Um, and those are, you know, you know, that's like, that's a lot of time commitment, you know? Um, but for me personally, I mean you make time for the things that you enjoy in life, you know? So for me, yeah, I might do a lot, but at the same time, like I enjoy the things that I do and I still get my work done, 
you know, and those those extracurriculars, they enrich my life, you know, like that's how I met you. You know right. what I mean? You know, that's how I met my other friends, you know. So, you know, yeah, it's time commitment, but there's always going to be a give and take in any decision that you make, you know. So, you mm. know, it's about what kind of sacrifices you were willing to make. Right. Yeah, and, um, it, you know, it kind of sounds like you're pretty self-motivated. Like, uh, so one of the things we've been talking about that's coming up again I get on this podcast is, like, in, intrinsic versus external motivation. And, you know, in psychology ideas, you know, people learn better if they're intrinsically motivated rather than just doing it for some external, like, reward, right? Like money or a grade or something like that. And so, yeah, is it fair to say that, like, you're very much on like the intrinsic motivation yeah. side. Oh, my motivation comes from within, you know. Um, you know, like I, I, I love to help people. You know, I love to be able to help people and support them, and you know, like in the things that they want to do in their life. You know, so you know, my most, most all my motivation comes from within me. You know. And like, and my, the passions that I have to say help people, or you know, when I do research, you know, to try to help society, you know. So, yeah, all my motivation comes from within. And and so, do you even feel that motivation just on any ordinary assignment that you have? I mean, yeah, you know, um, especially you know when I do research, you know, or you know, right now I'm in a class and. It's uh, communications, power, and identity, you know, and I'm writing the paper about gang members and how they develop their identity, you know, um, and, you know, so, you know, I think about my cousin, Forrest, you know, and that motivates me, you know, um, and I got to do a presentation on this next week, you know, and so I just want to, you know, you know, enlighten people to situations that they might not see every day or know about you know and uh you know try to you know make force you know not death happen in vain you know yeah that's super admirable yeah i mean it, it seems like it's a real valuable thing because because one of the things you know i kind of experience as a student the thing i wonder about a lot is yeah, for you, you have like a very clear sense of kind of like why you're here, what it's about, how it's valuable, and and it and it like is just personally meaning for you in a, a lot of ways. And um, just from yeah, like a learning standpoint, that's super useful, right? Um, so yeah, I just appreciate hearing about that because one of the things I've just been wondering is if we just acknowledge if we grant how important this is, it seems like it would make more sense either in class or outside of class or just just some part of the college experience to get kind of clearer about what I'll just call, you know, an educational foundation for yourself, right? So that when you do go to the class, when you do get handed any assignment, you're just so strong in that foundation for why you want to do it that it doesn't seem like a burden. It doesn't seem like an annoyance to you. It's yeah. just like, oh, this is... Oh, that one more paper I got to write or that one more chapter that I want, I got have to read, you know? Like, I try not to look at like like that, you know? Like, yeah, I've written a lot of papers and we continue to write a lot of papers. That's what we do as students, 
you know, but there's always an opportunity and no matter what you're doing in terms of if you're reading a chapter or you're writing a paper or you're preparing for a presentation or you're, you know, preparing for an exam, there's always an opportunity to learn something. And you might not even really realize what you're learning, you know, like growth just happens naturally. You know, if you keep engaged with the material and keep a positive mindset about it, you know, I mean, you're learning skills and knowledge that, you know, that you might not even know is there, yeah. you know? Yeah, so that, that really speaks to the, you know, the mindset side of things on, on your side of the classroom. I'm wondering, thinking about the class itself, because we've talked to various professors, and some of them have very interactive activities. I mean, foreign language, for example, they have a lot of interactive games and, and different tasks that they, they have the students do with the professor. And even in Professor Breen's political science class, they do these very elaborate um, simulations where they reenact certain historical events. And so these are just examples of different ways to structure a class. And then, of course, lecture is a common way. Is, is there any particular like class structure that's most conducive to your learning? Like me, personally, I like to have a lot of discussion, be able to talk, and kind of be able to stop at any point and kind of go into something. And so when I'm taking these lecture classes where it's like no questions basically at all, that's like problematic for me. So do you have something that kind of suits you? I mean, yeah, I do. You know, like I'm generally, I'm pretty quiet, you know, student. Um, I will speak my thought if super compelled. But, you know, I'm, I like the lecture, you know. Um, but also with the lecture, though, for me, when it really helps is so like if a instructor has a concept, he's trying to teach you, but then he's so he'll like give the definition of it or whatever, but then he goes and applies it to real world context, right? So like how I explained labeling theory to you, right. like that's how I really understand. I mean, sometimes I can just take the literal definition and I'm all good with that. But if I'm a little bit confused and I need further uh, explanation, if they would go into the world context of that concept, and then I'm like, oh, okay, I completely understand, mm. you know. But that that's with me, yeah. So, I mean, lecture is good with me. You know, I mean, I understand it can be boring, it can be dry, you know, but I've had lecture, uh, professors lecture where, you know, you know, they're just completely passionate about their, their topic and, or their class, and, you know, it's just like, you stand in there in awe, you know? And I'm like, wow, I didn't know lecture, like just a dry lecture could be this interesting and this fun, you know? So, mm. you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty easygoing, you know? Uh, I like variety, you know, interaction, debates, always good, you know? Cause like me, I, I like to just sit back and listen, you know? Um, so when the students engaging in debate and whatnot, you know, I really like that as well because, you know, I just want to sit back and listen, you know, mm. see what's going on, see the different sides, you know, because I'm not opposed to hearing different, you know, uh, arguments, you know, like I want to hear it all. Like, it's OK. Like, I'm not going to judge. You know, I just tell me what you think. Like, you know, it's OK. 
Yeah, so talk to Professor Eckerly, for example, and, and she's an English professor. And she just talks about, she reads these like really dense, you know, novels or Shakespeare, right? Really dense stuff. And she just described it as just such great fun mm-hmm. to go through that. Now, for many people, like just kind of pouring over a text, um, you know, it's hard to imagine how that's fun. How could it be fun? And when I kind of, you know, pressed her about it, you know, she said like there's just something about kind of unlocking the secret meaning, and not that that's necessarily secret, but it's, it's kind of like hidden or, or not obvious meaning, and you kind of unravel it, or you mm-hmm. kind of see the theme tie together and this kind of thing. So I was wondering, like, one, is intellectual work or some of your intellectual work, do you actually find it? Would you use the word fun? I definitely would. Like, for me, you know, um, especially when I engage in research or just like reading a book, um, for my personal use, I mean, granted, when I read books for myself, it still falls under criminology, you oh, know. Wow. Um, yeah, that's how I do it. Um, but then, like, also I'll read books like, you know, uh, Machiavelli, The Prince, or, you know, The Art of War, or um, what's that one? Um, how to Influence People. or oh, how yeah, to win fl- Ruin Friends and Influence yeah, People. Yeah, yeah, I'm reading that one, you know, um, books like that. You know, uh, it's it's fun for me, um, cause it it's like you're taking bits of information and then you know uh, you're learning things, but like it's like you're building a puzzle, you know. So you're taking a little bit from over here and a little bit over here, and you're like you're building this puzzle, and you don't know what it's gonna be, you know. But at the same time, you're learning. It's just Oh no, it's 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 crazy, you know. It's it's fun, you know. It's just stimulating, you know. So there's a kind of like thrill in the building, and then the seeing what mm-hmm. it's gonna be, and then there's also kind of excitement because it's 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 in process all the time. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, it's just it's enjoyable, you know. Um, it's it's self gratification, you know. Be able to learn new things, but then like implement what you learn you know like you know or you know take research you find out you know you're doing research you're reading all these these materials and then you know you get to you know write about it but then you get to you know you add your own voice into it and your own thoughts you know and say hey maybe we should do maybe we should look at it from this angle or you know maybe we need to be doing this instead of that you know, to help these people. So that sounds like almost like some like creativity there. Yeah. Would you call it that? Yeah. You know, I mean, I would say what I do is like art. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I um, aspire to be an academic and, you know, I'm pouring over books and articles and, you know, writing papers and whatnot. But when I write a paper and I'm able to insert my own voice and my own thoughts, you know, I see that as art, you know. It's like painting a picture, you know. You're creating something. Mm. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, I, I, I had just one of our visiting philosopher uh, people came in, and they, they described, like, philosophy as creative and similar to music that they had done. And I was like, man, I had never thought of it that way. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to hear you kind of feel the same vibe there. Yeah. 
So um, what's, what's one of the, if you have one, may or may not have one off the top of your head here, but like a, one of the best takeaways like methodologically. So I find the fact that I've done philosophy, just being able to deconstruct arguments, right? That's a big method that I'm just so grateful to have learned because now I feel like in any conversation, I'm like, okay, so what's, all right, that's their premise. Okay, that's their argument. All right, I can see kind of what it rests on, this type of thing. And so that's like one of the big methodological takeaways I've had, and we've talked to our professors, and that's one of the things we've been asking them is like, what, what are you hoping, like certain, what method do you hope your students take away? And so is, is there anything that stands out to you in that regard? Yeah, um, I will have to first off agree with what you say, you know, you know, being able to deconstruct an argument, you know, that's very useful. Um, but also within my field, and I assume that it, it goes with other fields, but being able to like look at an argument, but also look at it from more than one perspective, right? So there's always going to be, you know, different perspectives whenever you're like engaging in like said phenomenon, right? Sure. So to be able to like be open-minded about the different types of arguments that are out there, you know, like I'm always a firm believer that, you know, you need to look at things like holistically, right? To be able to find the best option. And maybe the option is not just one thing, it's more than things, but you're only going to know that if you have an open mind and be able to listen to views that maybe you didn't really agree with at first or that you didn't know nothing about, you know, cause you, you, maybe you had the tunnel vision and you just been honed into this one way of like, Oh, this is, this is why this is going on. There's no other reason why this is going on just cause of this one thing. Well, that's generally not the case. You know, you need to be able to look at it in, you know, in different lights. Mm. Just the idea that like, even what's the historical, what, what's going on psychologically, what's going on I mean, sociologically, just kind of bringing in any perspective you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is super useful. Any research that you'd be interested in sharing, sharing, sharing with us? Uh, yeah, so I did, um, last summer of the McNair Research Program, um, I researched uh, domestic violence and how it impacts children. So when children are um, in a home where there's just domestic violence present, whether they see it or hear it, and uh, I had never engaged in that topic at all. And that was, you know, quite eye-opening for me, you know. Um, how, how did you folks look at it? Uh, we just looked at it from a sociological perspective. So what I eventually learned was, so even if a child is in the home and they're not suffering from any abuse themselves, whether it's physical, psychological, or sexual, that they still suffer from the same mental health um, issues that the person that is being abused. So, you know, say, you know, um, person A was abusing person B, right? And then person B, you know, they have all these um, 
mental health issues as a result of it, you know, depression, anxiety, suicidal tendencies, uh, maybe eating disorders, uh, drug and alcohol disorders, right? Because of the abuse that they're suffering. So the children that witness that, they have those same issues, you know? And then also a person, a child that grows up in a home where they're exposed to domestic violence, they are more likely to be in a relationship, and if it's a male, to abuse their partner, and if it's a female, to be in a relationship where they are abused. And that, you know, I didn't, you know, I really never engaged in that topic, so this was all brand new knowledge to me. But also, so my thought in the conversation was, um, so the abuse that they're witnessing changes their rational thought process. And then they normalize this violence. And then they continue it. So it's a continuation of violence, much of it revolving because this irrational thought, this the irrationality that they um, have developed because of this is um, affecting their interpersonal communication skills. So in, instead of being able to talk out you know, what's frustrating them, what's stressing them, their default is to, to use violence or aggression against uh, their partner. Wow. And, and, and so you folks were like reading a bunch of papers? Is that how this uh, thing goes uh, down? I started out with reading some books. Oh, about, some books, wow. Yeah, some sociological books about domestic violence. And then um, I read, um, and then I read, some article, some academic articles. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really in- intense finding, but that seems like, yeah, really important one because, yeah, I think even for myself, I, you know, it, it's like maybe the obvious fact or what, what's, you know, seems like some kind of common sense is that, oh, yeah, if somebody, you know, got abused in this kind of way or, you know, themselves, then that would maybe be a sure sign. But even just being proximity, you're saying, is, mm-hmm. a, is a huge yeah. determinant. you know, that's why I say, you know, they don't have to just see it. They could just hear it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's messed up, you know. Yeah, I'm in a developmental psychology class right now, and, yeah, it's real. it's real tough to learn about that kind of stuff because it's like, their their brains are forming. Exactly. It's all getting locked in at this critical stage. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's why I say, you know, like the violence is normalized. And what I mean by that, like it's you know, in a sense they like it's okay, you know, when they engage in that because like that's what they seen, you know, on a it could be an everyday occurrence. They've seen, you know, violence in their home. You know, and this is by a loved one, you know. Um, so, you know, they they normalize these behaviors and then it just continues the cycle of uh, violence. Wow. Yeah, that's some, a lot of, a lot of, sounds like your world of, um, you know, intellectual work. It's, it's, it's some intense stuff, but it's very important stuff. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I'm not going to lie, like, a lot of times I have to put it down, you know, for a day or two because oh, really? it's, uh, it's, it's not, it's not, it can be very ugly, 
Yeah. You know, and it's emotionally draining, you know, and I tell people that too. You know, I caution them, if you're going to engage in this type of research, you know, make sure you're you're sound mentally because, you know, it's, it takes its effects on me. You know, so, but I've learned that, you know, you just, when that happens, you know, you get down about this, you know, you just, you just put away for a while, you know, you know, it'll be there again when you, when you, when you're, when you're good to pick it back up. Right. Um, okay. So yeah, what, what's been the most difficult part about being a student? Yeah, that's a maybe tough you're just one. loving it all. No, I mean, <laughs> you know, um, no, I. You gotta take care of yourself when you're in college. You know, you need to have good self care habits. Um, you know, uh, especially if you already have your own mental health issues, mm. which you know, obviously, you know, I do have my own mental health issues. Um, you know, so I have to, I struggle with you know the self care and and uh, taking time out for myself, you know, whether it be, you know, I'm gonna watch that movie when I get home, or it's okay to, you know, watch a couple episodes on the Netflix, or, you know, it's okay to, you know, like, okay, yeah, you can be done for the day, and, you know, you can do what you wanna do, you know, to, you know, take care of yourself. I struggle with that a lot. Because, like, I'm the type of person, like, I just want to keep going. I just want to, yeah. you know, I just want to go, go, go. But, you know, um, I need to take care of myself because when I do take care of myself a lot, you know, I'm, I'm more productive, you know. Um, so the biggest challenge for me is, you know, just, you know, taking care of myself, you know, and having good self-care habits, you know so that my mental health doesn't spiral out of control. Definitely, you know? yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate you mentioning that. I find that, that that's like the thing I'm trying to work out is that right balance, and I think a lot of, a lot of us on the campus are, yeah. are working with that. You know, it's, uh, that's what it's about, you know, finding balance in between, you know, between work and, 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 and uh, personal life and, and, and taking time out for yourself, you know. There's a lot to juggle you know, in this, uh, in this space, mm. you know. And so on the, on the other side of things, like what's been, what's been the most rewarding part of being a student? Mm. You know, that feeling you get when like you, you know, you, uh, you, you killed that research paper, you when, know. When you kill it? Yeah, yeah, you know, or like you finished the semester, that felt like it would never end. <laughs> you know, That's um, how I'm feeling right now. Yeah, you know, well, probably a lot of us. I know I'm in there Trying with to you. Get there. You know, yeah. um, you know, you know, just and or maybe you know just small things. You know, like you made it through the week. You right. went to all your classes. You know, you did all your assignments. You know, you read that book. You know, um, yeah. It's, uh, it's that like personal gratification yeah, piece. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, when I finish semest a semester, like that's a feeling that like I only get when a semester is over. It just feels so awesome, you know, 
and I'm just like, you know, I'm like, yeah, you did it. You know what I mean? You, you stuck it out. You got it done. You know, because it's you know, it's not. It's easy. It's easy to be like, oh yeah, I'm. A, you know, I'm not gonna do this. I'm gonna quit. You know what I mean? But to to stick it out and do what needs to be done, like that's hard. You know. So I give much props to everybody who sticks it out and make can make it through and do what they got to do in this space to survive. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so I think this this might be the last question. We'll see. Um, so let's say you could, you know, you get in my time machine, okay, and we can do one thing in this time machine. We can go visit your former self before they were Charles' student superhero and you could give yourself <laughs> some advice so maybe when you're first starting out whenever that was i know you know it's maybe been a, a a long path here in various educations at different times and that kind of thing but um yeah just maybe whenever you're thinking of like when you're first kind of starting out or maybe a point when you were struggling what's the advice you would give to yourself kind of knowing everything you know now uh just to know that you know that i will be okay you know, and to uh, trust the process. Um, yeah. But, yeah, just, you know, just, just trust the process, you know. Do what needs to be done today, and you'll be okay. You know, yeah. You know, like, don't get caught up kind of thinking about how it's all going to work. Yeah, I mean, if you try to, you know, concentrate too much on, on you know what needs to be done tomorrow and next week and next month and you know what uh what's coming ahead in the next year like those that can be overwhelming you could take it as like oh i don't know if i can accomplish all this you know there's so much that needs to be done does it ever end you know um but you know what i've learned is if you can just take take it and break it down and just do a little bit at a time and keep going a little bit at a time, you know? Uh, maybe, you know, you write that paper and you write half of it one day and then you write the other half the next day, you know? Just take it a little bit at a time, step at a time, you know? You'll be okay, you'll get it done, you know? But you start looking at everything and you're getting overwhelmed and you're like, oh, man. I got to do this and I got to do that and I got all these books to read and all these papers to write and I need to study for this exam and you know just take it one day at a time you'll be alright hmm. it's awesome advice very uh, pertinent to my situation right now <laughs> and that concludes this episode big thanks to Charles again for coming on the podcast Links to the references our guest mentioned can be found in the show notes. Before we go here, a big thank you to the Mellon Foundation and the Humanities Division for supporting this podcast. The views and opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals participating and do not represent the University of Minnesota Morse or the University of Minnesota System. You can find our podcast on iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you want to help out the show, please leave us a review on the iTunes store or share the podcast with others. Thanks for listening. This has been Humanities Engaged. <laughs>